Blog Talk Radio. chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 4 through 10. Once again, that's Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. This is uh, a message that uh, God has given me, uh, quite frankly, a long time ago. And uh, I've kind of, as time has gone on, uh, kind of revised it and readjusted it. And, uh, for, and for some reason, it, it didn't even dawn on me till here lately, I've never brought this message to you here at Huntsville. And I kept praying about it and praying about when the time would be that I needed to bring this. And for some reason, God has laid it on my heart uh, to share with you these words from Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, verses 4 through 10. So first and foremost, we want to invite everyone who can and is able to, to please stand with us as we uh, pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Today the message is entitled in a question, a simple question really. Can God use me? Can God use me to do His work? Can God use me to do His will? Uh, that's the simple question that we're asking today and hopefully by the end of this message it's going to be our goal to answer that question as to whether or not God can use us. God calls Jeremiah 
uh, starting in verse 4, saying, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, and these are the words of God, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, here's Jeremiah's response, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say that I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. We thank you, Lord, that in your great providence you do know us before even the foundation of the world. You know us and know everything about us. And that even still you call us to a particular task. And Lord, this morning we just want to ask that you through your Holy Spirit would come down, Lord, and fill our service and allow me simply to be your mouthpiece this morning, allowing me to speak the words that need to be spoken and holding back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, we just simply ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. A lot of times in conversations, uh, people get uh, may have misunderstandings, and, and they may have it set in their mind that uh, that uh, something is a certain particular way, and that, that that something can't change in their life or around them. Such as was the case uh, of an actual found in an actual radio conversation of a United States naval ship and with the Canadian authorities on a cool, foggy night uh, in uh, October of 1995, the conversation went like this. The Canadian, says, Canadian said, Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The American said, I recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadian response was negative. You will have to divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The American said, This is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadian authorities said, No, I say again, you divert your course. The Americans responded by saying, This is the aircraft carrier, the USS Lincoln the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied with three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. I say again, that's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of this ship. The Canadian response was, Sir, this is a lighthouse. It's your call. This is a lighthouse. Your call. (laughs) So needless to say, many times our conversations with God goes in a similar fashion. 
God may tell us to do something or tell us to move in a particular way and we find every reason to say, no, I can't do it. Do we not? We give every excuse under the book as to why God can't use us. That's simply the whole premise of this message. It's a very simple message, really. We're just going to look at two responses today. We're going to look at the human response of excuses. The excuses that we give unto God, which are very similar to the excuses that Jeremiah gives unto God, as to why God can't use us or why we can't be used by God. And then we're going to look at the divine response that God provides unto Jeremiah, which is the same response he provides unto us, telling us why he can and will use us if we'll simply open up our hearts and lives. I think, how many of you have ever listened to Southern Gospel music? Anybody? Several. How many of you are familiar with the gospel group, The Kingsmen? Several. Well, you probably have heard this song, and I think this speaks a lot uh, to the way we treat God. There's a song they call Excuses. For instance, uh, to, sh to show you this, I think it's a very funny song. It just shows how sometimes we can't be satisfied with what's going on. He goes on to say, uh, the, the, the words of the song says, you know, speaking of a preacher saying, well, he's too young and maybe he's too old. The uh, sermons, they're not hard enough, or maybe they're too bold. His voice is much too quiet-like. Sometimes he gets too loud. He needs to have more dignity, or else he's way too proud. Well, the sermons, they're too long, or maybe they're too short. He ought to preach the word with dignity instead of stomp and snort. Well, that preacher we've got must be the world's most stuck-up man. Well, one of the ladies told me the other day that he didn't even shake my hand. <laughs> And he goes on to say in the chorus, uh, Excuses, excuses, you hear them every day, and the devil, he'll supply them if the church you stay away. So uh, when, when we get in church, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Now that's a funny little song. But at the heart of it, there's a quintessential truth, an essential truth, that when God calls us to do something, we offer every excuse under the book to keep from doing what God has called us to do. So I think we find three excuses, three human responses of, of excuses that we find through Jeremiah and we also find within us. When God moves in our hearts and our lives asking us to do something for His glory, these are the type of excuses that we give. And if you'd like to follow along with us, we encourage you to do so in the insert of your bulletin. We first of all see that there are the excuses given due to a lack of faith. Excuses given due to a lack of faith. Now look with me in verse 6. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God. Now, I want you to take a look at how the word God is, uh, is construed there. Do you see it's all capitalized? Capital G, capital O, capital D. Well, there's a reason why he does that. And I want you to turn with me to uh, the book of uh, the Psalms, the 110th Psalm, Psalm 110. So turn with me there, if you will, Psalm 110. And I want us just to simply read the first verse because you need to see what's going on here for this to make sense, what I'm getting ready to tell you. In Psalm 110, let's give everybody a chance to get there. Psalm 110, verse 1. I want you to look with me in verse 1. Psalm 110 reads, The Lord said to my Lord. Now, that's all we need to see. 
Now, look at those two words, Lord. Do they look the same or do they look different? They look, they look different. Absolutely, they look different. One, the first word, Lord, is all capitalized. The next word, Lord, has a capital L, small O-R-D. Now, why did they do that? Did someone just get uh, happy with the all-caps button when they were printing the Bible? No. The reason they did this is that there are two Hebrew words being used here. When you see the word Lord and with, a, with a big L, small O-R-D, that's the word Adonai, which simply put means master, controller, the ruler of all that is. But anytime you see the word God or the word Lord in all caps, that's the personal name of God, which is Yahweh. Some people pronounce it Jehovah, it's more likely pronounced Yahweh, which means I am what I am, the self-sustaining one, the self-existent one. Which what this means to say, without getting too technical here, Jeremiah is just simply saying, Lord, God, you are the ruler of all things. You're in control of my life. You're in control of everything that's, that goes on in this world. You're the master. You're the controller. You're the ruler. But I can't. Well, why can't he? If we say that Jesus is Lord of all, and if we say that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, it means that we place our trust in Him, that He can do anything He pleases, that He can protect us, He can guide us, He can work through us. And we, we may say all day and all night, Oh, how I love Jesus. Where He leads me, I will follow. But do our actions back up our words? Jeremiah says, Oh, Lord, You're the ruler and master of all things. But I can't do that. Why can't he do that? Because he didn't have faith. He didn't have true trust in the abilities that God could use even someone like him. I'm kind of reminded of a few, a few years back, there was an M&M commercial. Now, I love my M&Ms. And this really stuck with me. But there was a commercial with this red M&M where he's playing the piano. And he sings to this song, who's getting ready to have a tasty dessert, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I won't do that, and I won't do this, and I won't do that, and I won't do that. You know, a lot of times, we do the same thing to God. We say, Lord, I'll do anything for you, but I won't go here, and I won't go there, and I won't say this, and I won't say that, I won't do this, or I won't do that. I love you, Lord, but I don't trust you. We may say that we trust God, but do our actions really demonstrate the faith that we have in the sovereign God? So the first excuse that we offer are given due to a lack of faith. The second set of excuses are given due to a perceived lack of ability. Look what Jeremiah says. He says, Oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I can't speak. Now, I'm with Jeremiah on this. When God first called me to, to preach, I was as backwards as can be. I was as backwards as a person could ever be in high school. I was, I was not a social person uh, and still struggle with that sometimes, but I was not a very sociable person and I thought, Lord, you want me to stand in front of people preaching and teaching your word. I cannot do that. <laughs> There's no way. I was, it took all that I had, all the gumption I had, to stand in front of a high school class and give a presentation. And he wants me to stand in front of people preaching the word He's got to be crazy. <laughs> and I think I even said that to God. You've got to be crazy a few times. Jeremiah did not feel qualified to do what God was calling him to do. 
But there's a saying that's been going around, and I really like it, that God doesn't call the qualified, God qualifies the called. And I think there's a great truth found in that, because, beloved, I want you to understand a few things. We give the argumentation to God that, God, you can't use me because I don't have these speaking skills. You know what? Moses didn't either. You know what most scholars say about Moses? He probably had a speech impediment, which means he maybe either stuttered, he could have stuttered, uh, or he had some type of of, uh, defect in the way he spoke. And that's why Moses said, God, I can't speak in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the known world at that time. You want me, who has this speech impediment, to go before Pharaoh telling him that he's got to let my people go. Are you crazy, God? But we, the history tells the tale of what God did. God used Aaron for a little while to be the spokesperson, but you know what eventually happened? God eventually moved and started to use Moses despite his perceived inabilities. Many of the apostles weren't trained according to the regular rigors of training. Paul, Matthew, and Luke were trained, but, but, but they had a personal encounter with Christ that threw all of that out the window. Abraham was a very timid man. You have to know that Abraham was timid when he calls his wife his sister because he doesn't want to get in trouble with another person, with the, with the rulers at the time. Abraham was a very timid man. Samson was anything but timid. But God used both of them for powerful means. Uh, the apostles John and the disciple Barnabas were very introverted. Peter and Paul were definitely not. <laughs> they were as uh, social people that you ever meet. But God used all four of them for powerful means to do powerful things. You say, you know, I have physical limitations. Well, Paul probably had a lot of physical limitations that kept him from doing some of the things that he wanted to do. But you know what? God used him for amazing things, did he not? God used him for amazing things. Mary was too young to have a child, and Sarah was 90 years old and had a child. So let me ask you, what's impossible with God? Nothing. Nothing's impossible with God. You may say, well, I don't come from the right area. Amos, you know where Amos came from? He came out from the hills and the hollers. He, uh, he was a country preacher. He was as country as could be. He was a tender of sycamore fruit. And when he came to town preaching the Word of God, there was one local uh, high-distinguished profile preacher named Amaziah says, Get out of here. We don't want your kind around here. We don't want you what you have to say. Go back to the hills and hollers where you came from, you old seer. And Amos said, I was not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I heard the voice of God in the wilderness, and I've got to obey the Word of God. Ezekiel was one who came from a royal lineage. He came from uptown, and God used him. So it doesn't matter if you come from the inner city, if you come from the ghettos, or if you come from what they call the boondocks. It doesn't matter if God is calling you to do something. Beloved, God can do through you what you could never think or imagine. So let's ask this. What can God not do through us? He can do anything He wants to through us. Amen? God can use us to do great things. We also use the uh, excuse that uh, we can't serve God due to a lack of experience. Look what Jeremiah says. He says, I cannot speak for I am a what? I'm a youth. I'm too young, God. Nobody's going to listen to me. Let me ask you a question. Most of them may be uh, in the children's church, but how many individuals do we have here? Raise your hands. 
who are 12 years old and under. How many do we have here 12 years old and under? Let me ask you, do you think God can use them? You bet your bottom dollar He can. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when Jesus fed 5,000 people, matter of fact, they only counted men back in those days, so more likely than not, it was 20,000 people that He fed in totality. That's why it's tucked with everybody, and all four Gospels records this. A little boy was the catalyst that brought forth that miracle. A little boy brought some fish to Jesus... And Jesus took those fish and multiplied it and fed 20,000 people. If it had not been for that little boy, the miracle may not have happened. Of course, now God could have done some other things, I'm sure. But God used those little bo- that little boy to do great things. Let me ask how many teenagers do we have here from 13 to, say, 19? If you're a teenager here, raise your hand. All right, come on, get them up, get them up. <laughs> Can God use these teenagers? Absolutely he can. You know how old uh, Jeremiah was? Most likely 14 or 15 when this took place. You know how old Mary was when she had Jesus? Most likely 14. She was a very young girl and met with a lot of (laughs) challenges very early on. Uh, The apostle John was most likely around 17 or 18 when he first started following Jesus. So tell me again, can God use teenagers? Absolutely he can. How about young adults? Uh, let's say 20s and 30s. <laughs> I'm going to go with 30s here while I can. 20s and 30s. How many young adults do we have here? Uh, raise your hands. Oh, come on. Don't be bashful. Get them up. Get them up. Can God use these young adults? Absolutely he can. Uh, David was uh, in his early 20s. Ruth was in her early 20s. And God used them for incredible things. What about... Uh, Middle-agers, about, uh, say, uh, 40s and 50s up to, up to retirement age. Go ahead and get them up. How many do we have? Don't be bashful. Get them up. <laughs> can God use these individuals? Absolutely He can. Isaiah was around 50 years old when God called him to the prophetic ministry, most likely Amos was at least that, if not older. Oh, now we're going to really get the pedal to the metal here. How many senior citizens do we have here? Go ahead and raise them up high. How many senior citizens do we have here? <laughs> I see some fighting going on back there. <laughs> we have. <laughs> Let me ask you, can God use senior citizens? Now, I, I, go ahead. I hear some say, I've already retired. I've already done my business. Preacher, you can just move on. Nope. Can't do it. Can't do it. Why? Because Moses was 80 years old when God called him to do what he did. 80 years old. Don't you think Moses said, God, move on? (laughs) Not me. Anybody but me. 80 years old when Moses was called to do what he did. Abraham was 100 when he had Isaac. Can you imagine that? (laughs) I see a lot of heads really shaking. A hundred years old and he had Isaac. Beloved, I want to tell you that my life has been greatly impacted by senior citizens who were wholeheartedly devoted to the calling of God. Pastor Gilmer Denny, uh, Pastor Clay Brown, many other saints of God, my grandmothers on both sides, grandfathers on both sides, 
have had an indelible impact on my life. You may say, preacher, I've done done my work. Uh-uh. I want to tell you something. The Christian is not retired until they are in heaven. That's the retirement plan God has for us. So while you have breath in your lungs and the ability to do anything, God has a calling upon your life. And it's important that all of us do what God has called us to do. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward because God can do amazing things in your life. Can God use you? I think we're beginning to see the answer already. But before we completely answer that, let's take a look at the second half of this message, which is the divine response to the explanation or the divine response of explanation. We've heard Jeremiah's case. Now let's hear God's response. We've heard Jeremiah's case. Let's hear God's response. First of all, let's go back in verse 5. God gives, first of all, an empowered explanation. An empowered explanation. Look what he says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now that's just powerful. That's, those are powerful words. Which means to say that you have a purpose for being here you're not a mistake. Actually, uh, before I preached this message one time at a, at, a, at a church, and a woman came up to me afterwards and told me, she says, Brian, thank you for bringing that message today. She said, I'm an ado- I have adopted kids, and one of my kids had a mother who told her that she was a mistake, that she was not intended to be here on earth, that she had no purpose And she bought into that. And I keep telling her day after day after day that she has a reason for being here. God has a purpose for her life. She said, I've been telling her this over and over again, but it was good to finally hear it from somebody else that kind of backed up what I've been telling her all along. Beloved, you're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. Every single one of you here today are here on planet Earth in 2015 for a distinct reason, for a distinct purpose. You have a calling upon your life. There are no mistakes with God. We have a purpose and we have a meaning. You know, it's kind of like a football. Football is my favorite sport. And we see two of my... I have two favorite teams, the Carolina Panthers and the Green Bay Packers. One team is doing really well, and the other team is doing very bad. <laughs> Why? One team has all of its members working together in, in a cohesiveness. They're working together, they're, they're playing together, they've got it together, and the other team, they just can't seem to get anything right anymore. Why? Because some people are not living out and doing what they're supposed to do. Beloved, when we come together as a church, when we come together as a people of God, we have to understand that each one of us, we're not in a competition against one another. We are in cooperation in competition against the devil, really. That's who our competition is. We're coming together as a team because each one of you has something special that you bring to the table of God. That's why He created you. That's why you're here. You have a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. Can God use you? (laughs) I believe we're beginning to see the answer quite clearly. Secondly, there is a directed explanation. A directed explanation. Look what He says. He says, don't be afraid of their faces. We're going to look at this a little bit more in detail. 
But look what he says in verse 9. God says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 19, When you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. In other words, what this means is that God is not going to throw you out in the water without first training you how to swim. God is, you know, He may throw you out in the water eventually, but God is going to give you the necessary tools to make it. God is going to give you the necessary training to make it. And, and most of all, it may happen through the Holy Spirit. And I thank God for His Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has gotten me through some times in my life that if it had not been for Him and His empowerment, I would have not made it through. I, I keep telling you about December 18th, not to brag about myself, but to really brag about God. Because the only way that I'll make it to December 18th is by the power and grace of God. The closer that date comes, the crazier things become because, because the devil seems to be fighting it. But you know what? In the end, God is going to have the final victory. That's the story of all of our lives. The closer we get to heaven, the devil fights us even harder. But eventually, we're going to have the victory in Christ Jesus because we already have it. Through the Holy Spirit of God, He gives us, He empowers us, He directs us to the, way, the ways we need to be. The thing that you have to remember is that if you're in the center of God's will, nobody can touch you. You're immovable, you're unshakable, because you have divine power at your disposal. You have the divine power of God surrounding you, embracing you, and directing you. And beloved, if God is for you, then nobody can be against you. Nobody. And that's a promise. Lastly, in, in addition to that, there is the protected explanation. Look what he says. Do not say that I'm a youth. He goes on to say uh, in verse 8, Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He is with Jeremiah to deliver Jeremiah. Now, let me first give a disclaimer. This does not mean that we're not going to be met with hardships. This does not mean that we may not eventually have to give our lives for our faith. But what this simply means is that God is going to protect us to do and, and, and bring forth the calling that He has placed upon our lives. Ben Witherton III, when asked, he's a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, someone asked him if he thought it was surprising that Jesus died. He says, no, I'm surprising Jesus, surprised that Jesus lasted as long as He did saying the things that he did. It was only through the power of God that he lasted as long three and a half years in ministry because Jesus was preaching the truth. He was shaking things up. The whole establishment was being shaked up at the, at the words of Jesus. He said, I'm surprised he lasted as long as he did saying and doing the things that he did. You see, that was the divine protection of God. Of course, he is the Son of God, but that's the divine protection of God to bring forth and do the will of God. Let me, let me just give you this story. It's a very powerful story. When I was at Fruitland Baptist Bible Institute, uh, there was a guy there by the name of Dr. J. Oliver Green. He had a, a national syndicated Bible uh, teaching program uh, all across the, um, the world. I think he's going to be with the Lord now, if I'm not mistaken. But at least over across the, na the nation of the United States and may have gone international, I'm not sure. But he was uh, asked to preach at an old-fashioned tent meeting, a camp meeting, I guess you would say. A revival, you know, where they set up the, the tents and, you know, and the public pre preaching, people come, they have the, the, the haystacks, I think, out there, and then they also have the chairs lined up. God was moving powerfully in this series of meetings. He was there for a week. 
And he came out of that uh, tent one day and was going to his car and noticed that there was a man in his car with a pistol pointed right at him. And he says, well, God, if, uh, if it's my time to go, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. He says, but if it's not, just get me through. He went to his car, got in his car, drove away. He thought, well, that was just really bizarre. <laughs> that was just very bizarre. He came back that night and preached a message. And the Spirit of God was moving in a powerful fashion. And guess who was at the very back of that tent? That same man. True story. Every bit of this I'm telling you is true. That man. And when he gave the invitation, you know what happened? That man came down up front and knelt down before the altar. And then he pulled his a pistol or revolver out, pulled his gun out and laid it down. And uh, Oliver Green said, at this point in time, I didn't, wasn't so spiritual because I was about to get my Bible and knock him in the head before running out the camp because, <laughs> because that was the second time already. But that guy grabbed him by the collar and said, Sir, I was hired by someone to kill you because God has been moving in this community so strong that it has affected his business negatively because some of his patrons aren't coming to him anymore. I was hired to kill you. But all I know is when I was in my car, I had that gun set to you, and my hand went numb, and I couldn't move my finger until 15 minutes after you left the parking lot. He said, if that's the type of God you serve, then I want to get on that same team as well. He said, if that's the type of God who can do that, then I want to be on that side instead of on this other guy's side. So he threw his gun down, received Christ, came to faith that very night, and his life was completely transformed from that point forward. You may say, two things I think you find in this story. One, you may say, well, I'm scared. I don't know what God's going to do. God is going to protect you to do what He's called you to do. But secondly, I think that also tells us, you may say, well, preacher, I've done some bad things in my life. You know what? If He can transform the heart and life of that executioner, don't you think that He can transform your heart and life as well? Let me just close with this. Jennifer and I, uh, normally, uh, we didn't this past year, we went up to the mountains, but normally we go and we uh, rent a beach house or rent a cool condo at the beach and enjoy the beach. Well, a few years back, uh, we rented a place that just, quite frankly, stunk. It hadn't been used in a while, and it had a real musty smell to it, and we were beginning to wonder if we just needed to pack up and find something somewhere else because it was, it was bad. But you know what? We opened the windows, we opened the doors, and the longer we were there, the, 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 the more that scent left. You see, I think the problem was in that old house, it had been vacant for quite some time, and it had become kind of dead inside. But we brought life to that house. And when, when life was brought to that house, it, it was, everything was fresh, everything was transformed and changed. I think we see the same thing that happens in our lives, not only when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, as He takes all of that dead out from inside of us and transforms it and changes it with the living power of the Holy Spirit of God, but I think we also see that when we submit to His authority and we allow God to use us to do things according to His will, we have new life in us. We have a transformation that takes part in our lives and takes place in our lives, and we have a fresh experience with God. So let me ask you the question, can God use you? Well, I think we already see the answer is yes. But I think at this stage in the game, the question has changed. The question is no longer, can God use me? 
The question now is posed, will I let God use me? God may be calling you to do something today. The question is, are you going to respond? Are you going to be willing? Are you going to allow God to work in your life? And I can guarantee you something for serving Him for in the gospel ministry for what's been 13, 14 years. God is going to do in your life things that you never thought were possible. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you first and foremost today, if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, why don't you come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late? But maybe you're here today and maybe God is calling you to do something. Maybe God has been at you to do something for quite some time. Maybe you just need to come down and say, Lord, I surrender. Whatever it is that you want to do in my heart and do in my life, I'll do it. You you may say, but I'm not worthy. None of us are. You may say, I don't have the ability. None of us do. The thing is, is if we surrender unto His control, unto His grace, He's going to use you to do some things that you never thought were possible. If you're here today and maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church, whatever God is saying in your heart and in your life, we just ask you to come and respond according to the Spirit's command. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for this, for this service today. I don't know why You had me bring this message today, but I believe that it may be for someone particular here today. It may be for one or two people. It may be for five or ten people. It may be for every person sitting here that they needed to hear this message today. I don't know what you're doing and what you're saying, but Lord, I just ask that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation. We just ask, Lord, that hearts would respond according to your will and according to your command. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you would, please stand as we sing our final selection.